welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Well, welcome adventurers to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We are now on episode 27. This is King Scott here. And this is just Patrick. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't say that. Say it with, with panache. This ah, is and just. And this is Pat. Just Patrick. Yes. <laughs> We've got games to talk about. Top 100 stuff going on. We have a review coming up of Grand Austria Hotel. And we've got a discussion topic of what games did you hear about that you really didn't want to play, but you're like, hey, wait, there's something to this after you actually got duct taped to the chair and made to play it. How did Harvey go? Your performance in Harvey, I assume it was fantastic. Harvey went spectacular. Until our final day. That was the day whenever pretty much everything had to go wrong. Our lights did not work. So we basically did not have our regular show lights on the stage. We had overhead what they call work lights so we can see where we're going. And they were the lights of on and off and on (laughs) and off. So no dramatic uh, license whatsoever whenever it comes to lighting. That sounds like a disaster. It got even worse then after that. I was sitting in a chair and I'm getting ready to stand up and give one of my speeches. I stand up and I felt a pop. Oh, no. That was not (laughs) a good feeling at that time. (laughs) Well, the pop actually came from an old belt that I had. The belt broke. So the pants I had were a little bit too big. I'm walking around stage trying to hold my pants Please tell me your pants fell down in front of an entire audience. They did not fall down. But it was pretty evident I was having a wardrobe malfunction. (laughs) But we made it through. Somebody came in afterwards during the intermission, one of the other actors, and was like, you missed a line. I'm like, I was holding up my pants. (laughs) That's got to be some kind of a faux pas for a co-actor, one of your like fellow actors to say, you missed a line. It's like, shut up. I didn't. But that's. I would have thought that that's like get slapped in the mouth material for saying that to one of your fellow um, actors. It's no, like uh, no. calling them out of line. It's just one of those things where, all right, I'll do better next time. But luckily on Sunday we didn't have to worry about being better the next time. But overall, oh. Harvey was good. We had good crowds for it. It was great to be on stage again, and it really kind of got me amped up and got the juices flowing to get ready for Renaissance Festival coming up in two weeks. Well, good luck and have fun with it. Oh, uh, it's hard to not have fun with it. So we, we shall see what happens. So what's been going on in your life? Well, not a lot, but I had a little bit of a board gaming malfunction myself. Oh, no. Scott, I'm looking at the Target app for the Alien Fate of the Nostromo game because mm-hmm. we had four of them. I saw them on the shelf at our Target and they're gone. So I start looking at Targets in the area and there's one down the road in, in North Huntington that has one copy left and i swear that's in all of the pittsburgh area so i did the whole like okay i'm gonna come and pick it up it's ready in two hours hey go target so i submitted i I show up and i'm like wow the last one in all of pittsburgh you know and it's it's right near my house what luck 
while they give me the bags, and it's late at this point, so it's dark in the car. I'm on my way back home with Peanut. I put the bag down next to me. We get home, and I open up the bags, and there's the alien box. Yes. Dented to all hell and back. Oh, no. It definitely <laughs> got smashed at some point, and I thought, how can they even, with 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 a... <laughs> how, how dare they? Their nerve to just put this in the bag, like... Yeah, we're going to sell this to someone. Uh, I couldn't believe it. So now I'm torn. Like, I'm the type that says people will post on Facebook that they get a game in the mail. And I'm telling you, the tiniest little ding in a corner. And they're like, you need to send that back. And I'm like, dude, it's a tiny little ding on on a $40 game. Eh. But I get it. Some people are more particular than others. I'm not that particular. My alien box is just destroyed. Now, I don't care. It was 30 bucks. I'm going to get my 30 bucks out of it and whatever. But there is a part of me that's like, you know what? I'm a fool if I don't say to Target, like, no, 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 you don't, you don't get to pass this off on me. I, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna give it back to you, and you can sell it to me for half off. Like, is that fair game? I would say so. I mean, I I've seen some of your stuff, and not saying that you have a, a oh, messy thanks. collection, and you don't. <laughs> but you want to enjoy what's inside more than the aesthetic of what it is. Now, in case sure. that you want to pass it on and sell it to someone else. Yeah, you definitely want to have a nice product to do that. But yeah, I, I definitely would get in contact with Target and say, hey, 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 I'm part of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. <laughs> right. do, do, you, do you know how many teens of people listen to us? Huh? Huh? You were sold do out you? of this game in the Pittsburgh area because of me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But anyway, I would definitely bring it to their attention. Who knows? Maybe they will do something for you. Have you seen Restoration Games has Omega Virus, the old game they're reprinting Omega Virus. Do you remember this one? I'm not that familiar with it. It looks very cool. Now, are we going to go on this whole vast like tsunami of virus games now? I didn't think that's where you were going with that. I thought you were going to say nostalgia games, and I was going to oh, tell Restoration you, well, that's Games. Restoration no, they, Games. That's their shtick. Yeah, they push all the buttons with that, and it always comes out great. The timing is just well, I, is it too soon for this? <laughs> too soon. I yeah, I get it. I get it. They do a fantastic job of tapping into that nostalgia vein that everyone has and bringing out all these fantastic games. All the better for them. I mean, I hope it works out fantastic for them. What are your I thoughts? I still want to get a hold of Return to Dark Tower, and I want to see how that plays. I didn't back the Kickstarter. I was mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, this looks great, but it was pricey, and it was at a time where I just didn't have that kind of money to put towards a board game, and I passed on it. But I want to play. I'm sure Tom got it. <laughs> Somebody at the shop has to have a copy of that coming in. So I want to play that and see how it plays and make my decision based on that. Because some things like uh, – I understand Fireball Island was not that different from the original. Not that it needed to be, but it wasn't right. a board gamer game. Some of the some of the podcasts, some of the reviews that I'd heard, it's like, oh, yeah, they gamified Fireball Island when really they didn't. They added a couple simple things, but it's still – a kid's game for, for better or worse. You know, I, I think if you wanted to get it for the nostalgia and to be able to play it with your eight-year-old because you played it when you were eight, well, that's probably what their marketing strategy was. I think it was for the main game. I think whenever they go with all the expansions they added on, that was tapping into the gamer vein right next to that nostalgia vein that everyone mm. seems to have. But the nostalgia thing, it's a tough thing where you go down the line of 
like whenever they came out in the G.I. Joe movie. Oh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be just like whenever I was a kid. And then you go see the movie and you're, uh, what's this? Knock on wood. That Restoration Games keeps doing the great job that they have on bringing back those nostalgic games. You would think a company like Restoration Games, they're playing on nostalgia. And you feel like, well, they're just selling games because it says Dark Tower. But Restoration Games has even said nostalgia is actually an opponent of theirs. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a hurdle to overcome because that brings a heightened expectation from the gamer. If I'm going to play, I don't know, Battlemasters and Restoration Games is bringing out their version of it. Battlemasters isn't – I mean, you pull a card and you just do what it says. It's not a good game. But we all have these memories of you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago playing battle well not 40 years ago it wasn't out then <laughs> but you know we have this this these memories of this fantastic epic grand game and it wasn't that and restoration games has to find a way to make it that even though it wasn't while still staying true to the original game at least to some extent and like you said they do a fantastic job i came across an old show i watched whenever i was a kid i'm gonna tap into that nostalgia vein i'm gonna watch ultraman Oh, God. Um, I don't even know where to begin to think what my, like, third grade self saw in this TV show. Not good. I, oh, my God. Oh, oh, no. I mean, it's it's fun <laughs> watching it, but you really notice the zippers on these suits of these monsters and everything. And I wish I didn't watch it just so I could live with those memories I had before. Keep the nostalgia a good thing and not spoil it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's why Restoration says it's a challenge. Hey, before we get on to recent plays, I've got a little bit of bad news. I've got some unexciting stuff to talk about. Did I'm you sorry. I will see... get the book back to the library as soon as I can. I know you lent it to me. I'm very sorry. I'll pay all the late dues. <laughs> it is well over a week late. Yes, I <laughs> know. I'll pay him. not to a library anymore. Did you happen to see the, uh, the news about Broken Token? I glanced at it quickly. I didn't get a chance to really read through everything, but that's a tough thing to see. For listeners, a, a brief overview, and this is, I read it yesterday, so I'm, I'm going off memory. Apparently, a former employee came out uh, saying that starting 10 years ago and all through her tenure there, uh, she was sexually harassed and or assaulted by the owner of Broken, allegedly harassed and assaulted uh, by the owner of Broken Token. And there's already been some some relatively swift repercussions. I know Isaac from Cephal Affair is uh, looking into options. I think contractually, they are already signed up with Broken Token for their Frost uh, Frosthaven mm -hmm. campaign to get Broken Token inserts. And he's looking at, is there a way to switch that? You know, there's there's a lot of... I don't want to say there's a lot of, but anytime this sort of thing comes up, you always have the crowd that says, well, innocent until proven guilty, and it's alleged. And then you also have the opposite end of the spectrum that says, no, you know, like Board Game Geek stances, believe women. that you know, You're not allowed to say innocent until proven guilty. And you know what? At the end of the day, she gains nothing from coming out and saying, like, broken token guy, I'm sure is not a billionaire. I think she came forward because she's since found out that someone else was uh, was victimized allegedly by this this individual from Broken Token as well. So something to be aware of that uh, we just wanted to bring to folks' attention. That's not cool. It's not cool when that happens. Uh, I, you know, hope that the victim of this finds finds some strength, finds some healing through bringing this news forward, and and uh, hopefully there's a, a resolution and and things are. Uh, things are dealt with. I don't know what uh, yeah, better to say it. Exactly, and and that's all you can say. I mean, it's 
it's a very tough subject uh, anymore, and it's unfortunate that these things type of things happen. And we bring this up on a board game podcast because it is Broken Token, and you know they are a very popular organizer for many very popular games. Uh, if you're considering buying one, maybe do a little research, you know, see how this resolves. And it, I mean, at this juncture, like I said. It's, this person doesn't have any reason to bring this news forward. There's no financial benefit or, you know, let's be honest, you know, it's, it doesn't look good. Um, and if that might change your mind on potentially spending your money with Broken Token, then, well, you know, it is, as a podcast, is is board game kind of media? I feel like it's it's our responsibility to bring that to listeners' attention. We don't like to talk about it, but still, it's one of those things that comes up in our lives that affects how we do things. So we hope that everyone in, involved works things out and justice is found for all the parties involved. Patrick, I believe you were delivered a big box of dissent. Yes, indeed. Dissent was on the table these last few days. Dissent, Legends in the Dark. This is a Fantasy Flight Games production released earlier this month, designed by Kara Central Dunk and Nathan Hajik. Uh, Scott, good. you've never heard of Descent, have you? Haven't seen any of the pictures online or anything, huh? No, no. What is this Descent that you speak of? <laughs> All right, look, I'm sure most of us have seen this game. It's a hot topic, and this being the third iteration of Descent, I'm not going to get into the gameplay. In the event that you or a loved one is unaware, Descent is a dungeon crawl game set in the fantasy flight world of Tyranoth, which is like high fantasy, use weapons, items, and spells to accomplish a scenario goal. It's a dungeon crawl. That's as far as I'm going to go into actually explaining how you play, as there are literally 143 how-to-play-through videos on YouTube. Again, a reason why we're not doing anything in video format for now. I mean, <laughs> how does YouTube already have 12 unboxing videos of this game? Who's like, you know what we should do, guys? What? You know what we need to provide for the community? Unboxing video number 12, and they're all sitting around like, yes, let's do the 12th unboxing video. Mark my words. <laughs> It'll be twice as many as that <laughs> in no time. But really, it plays very similar to Descent Journeys in the Dark, a.k.a. Descent 2.0. Bear with me if I mistake uh, Legends and Journeys moving forward. It gets confusing. I wanted to bring up Descent as it's been on my table for the last three days, and I've been playing it solo and enjoying myself. Earlier today, I was perusing some board game groups, and someone was asking for opinions about this game. Now, first of all, adventures, whenever a game is brand spanking new like this, the vast majority of people who chime in, like if you see someone posting a picture of it on Facebook, you see all these people giving you their thoughts on it, they're giving you a first impression. It's not like they've had the game for months and played through the campaign last year, then tried it with another group earlier in the summer and so on. So what I'm saying is basically my first impression of the game. And for what it's worth, uh, I made a small reference list of dungeon crawlers that I've played. <laughs> Scott, I stopped at 30. I hit Reichbusters and I was like, okay, I played enough. I'm not going to list all these to, you know, provide clout for listeners to know, to, to let listeners know that I know what I'm talking about here. All right. So you have Descent, you have it laid out on the table. I, for one, am going to say I'm not a big fan of what's going on with this. Oh, yeah? I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed with this game. I'm not like, oh my God, I must play this game. I know that there's an app involved with this. Uh, I think it's going to be something similar probably to the Lord of the Rings game that Fantasy Flight put out. How does mm -hmm. the app integrate into the game? 
Yeah, that seems to be the, the main point of Division. So this is an app required board game, much like Forgotten Ooh. Waters or Chronicles of Crime. You have to have the, if you don't have the app, you don't have a game. You have a box of trinkets uh, right there. You can discard. Honestly, like that kind of makes it easier to judge whether or not you're going to like this game because half of the one ratings on BGG or more are the curmudgeons that don't want apps. And you get there's one dude that like he puts a one and he says app required dot 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 not a board game. So I'm like, huh, I click his profile and I click on the things that he's ranked one. And he literally, the dude sought out every single board game that requires an app and took the time to say, rank it one, not a board game. It's like, come on. Okay. So it's not your cup of tea, but (laughs) I mean, a miniature, if something has a miniature, is it now not a board game? I I don't know. Nevertheless, the worry with this app is, and for any app in a board game for that matter, is that you're not going to actually get a board game, but instead you're going to get a video game that has a board. Is that your reservation? Well, I think it's more of along those lines of, I feel that it's going to quarterback the game, that it's going to tell me where to go and what to do and take the decision making out of my Mm. enjoyment of the game. All right, well, listeners, if you've played Descent 2.0, Journeys in the Dark with the app, you probably know that it didn't quarterback you then. Uh, It wasn't the case at all. The app would provide sort of like a fog of war effect, like StarCraft or uh, Red Alert, where you can't see what's behind the door. Uh, and the dungeon is built as you explore. It's, it's not already out there. You can't be like, okay, if we go down this hall to the left, then northeast, we're going to hit the goal. No, you don't know what's behind the door until you open it. So there's a little bit of immersion there. The app acts as your dungeon master. So that whole four against one concept is now a four-player well, up to four-player co-op. Now, Descent 2.0 is still the card, so somebody could be the overlord if that's what you wanted, but three Descent 3.0, that's what we're going to call it, two and three, henceforth. Sounds descent good. 3.0, it doesn't give you that option at all. You're either you're playing co-op against the app, period. So, I, I understand here you don't have an overlord, you're just playing against the app. How did that work out for you? The app requires a ton of reading, Scott, and, the, and clicking through the story, uh, but so be it. If you're looking for that sort of thing to increase your immersion, I, I get it. Then the app tells you to place a couple of tiles, and then put down the points of interest, and mm-hmm. then a pillar, and then a bookcase, and then you might have some baddies to fight as well. So you play the game for a little bit, you move your piece on the board, and you interact with scenery or monsters, which is done by clicking your character image drag it on the screen. I say screen because I just use my computer. I use uh, Steam. It's free on Steam instead of on like a phone or anything, but I'm sure it works there too. You click on your guy that's doing the action of say searching the well, and then you drag the cursor up to the well and you let go and it says, oh, he's searching the well. Test your might or test your agility or your will or whatever. If you want to fight somebody, you click and you drag over to the baddie and then it's like, all right, roll your die. So when you fight the bad guy, you're literally, you're going to roll the die. And then what do you do? You have to enter the number of successes into the app. And it shows the amount of damage that you did. And then play continues. So you kill the baddie and you move on to the next door. Okay, let's take a break here because we have to set up the next room. Oh, and this one's elevated. You probably have seen in pictures. They have like steps and elevation and whatnot. So you need those notched pillars. They have like little cardboard mm-hmm. pillars, and they just put in little notches that will slot into your platform right. uh, on which the pieces are going to be placed. Then you got to put the staircase down. Then you're going to fumble through the box looking for tile 16B along with the four pillars and gently assemble everything, set it on the table, and then put down the stairs. And now you're back to the game. Okay, I'll move my piece three spaces to attack the bandit. And back to the to app. The app. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this game's bad. And I'm not in the camp that's anti-app for my board game. Right. 
but this is the first one. Descent 3.0 is the first one that for me actually crossed the threshold of this is much more of an app than a board game. 2.0, I was playing a board game that the app was assisting and taking mm-hmm. care of things. This takes so much of the behind the scenes work out of it. Uh, really, that map, the board, you can see your board on the screen. The only thing that you're doing on the table is the relation, the number of spaces you are away from the monsters, because the app doesn't know where you're going to move. Theoretically, if they put your pieces on the app, you could just click where you're moving to. They could put a little die in the bottom corner and you click that to roll it and it sees your successes. It just crossed that line a little bit. I'm six quests in and I would bet that 75% of the time I'm either assembling terrain or clicking or reading on the app. And I almost, I, like I said, I almost wish that that die roll could be done on the app so I'm not <laughs> back and forth. You know what I mean? Going back and forth. Right. All these things that you collect. You're going to search these trees, these chests. You're going to defeat monsters. All these things you get are going to go into your inventory. And this is kind of nice because this game can create literally thousands of things. It doesn't right now, but you can imagine. They could make mm-hmm. any number of things for players to find, especially with like future downloadable oh, sure, content. Yeah. But that muddies the clarity that I look for in a game. Scott, when I'm picking stuff up, uh, the herbs from the Outlands, I don't care. I don't even know what they do. And at some point, I can't be bothered to keep clicking around reading about all of these random items and what they do and how I can combine them. I just want to roll dice. I want to play cards. I want to have tactical decisions. This is starting to get into that, like, uh, the Haradric Cube from Diablo. It's like, oh, what if I put in these things and and combine these? Well, it could be a different item. Mm. It does wonderful things for the game, though. First of all, this card crafting system, to begin with, it's not my cup of tea. But that a game is allowing that. That is a whole new level of play. That's a whole new system being introduced into board gaming. Your characters regularly get decisions to make that you really can't emulate with just cards. Like, you're going to see a thief taking a, I don't know, I'll make this up, a small child's ice cream cone. What do you do? Buy the kid a new ice cream cone or beat up the thief? Right. And, and whatever your decision is, that's going to shape your character. And the story that you're a part of is going to branch out differently based on those little decisions that you make. And I like that. You can't do that just with a deck of cards and, mm-hmm. oh, now you're going to go to a different page to see your new dungeon layout. No, that. Love that. Absolutely love it. Some folks are going to love every second of Descent 3.0 because it is extraordinarily robust. For me, I think I actually prefer 2.0. I want to do some of the upkeep. I want to track some of the things myself. Mm -hmm. I like having that smaller pool of upgrades and cards because then I have like a more holistic knowledge over everything that's available to me when I'm building my loadout. So I think my first impression, again, first impression is that I prefer 2.0, but I do think 3.0 is going to be amazing for a lot of gamers. If you're going to play this campaign through by yourself and then with a group, and then you want to switch characters and do it again, if you're going to play just Descent with your group for the next several months. You're going to master what each of those items are, what combos work best, what enemies have what weaknesses. Man, you're going to love this game. But it was I, a little too much for me. Yeah, I don't know if I'm... I'm still not in the camp of I can't wait to play this game. It sounds like one of those ideas that look great on paper, but in execution, it just got out of their hands. You can meet up with your friends and play a game of Dungeons and Dragons almost and just do it all on a little whiteboard. It it just seems like it kind of goes out of its way to create something else that's 
you can already do. And you know what? If you like story that much, then somebody in your group wants to DM, wants to spend mm-hmm. two or three hours putting together the campaign and using imagination. You don't want it on rails at that point, I would imagine. Right. Now, this is another thing that comes to my mind. I, I hear you say about there's all this putting things together and making the new rooms and putting the stuff where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. How long does an average mission take? For me, I've been doing solo with two characters. You can right. do up to four. So I've been playing two characters and my missions are taking me about an hour Sometimes a little bit more than an hour. And you have town interactions in between. You have things that will happen as you're going from a town to a quest point. But about an hour. I would imagine with multiple players, that's going to balloon like crazy. Because you're going to start talking about things that you wouldn't. When I was playing 2.0, I would play that solo. And it would take me about an hour to do a scenario. And I had the guys over and we did the the introductory mission. You know, the first part of the campaign. We all picked our character. And we were going to play four different games that day. We started at 11, and we finished that first mission of uh, uh, Descent 2.0 at like 5 o'clock. Oh, wow. So if it balloons for 2.0, I would imagine that it would have a, a similar effect for 3.0. Now, are you set with a, a set number of characters you can play, or is it a wide-open sandbox of how you can create your character? Oh, uh, The box comes with six. So you have six characters. You can pick any one of four to get started, and the other mm-hmm. two on... Yeah, no real spoiler here. It comes with six. You know you're going to get to play with them. Two of them unlock relatively quickly. They all have items. Uh, well, they all have weapons, and the the weapons can upgrade. So there is a lot of variability in like character loadout. You have skills that you can unlock, and it doesn't look like much whenever you first crack open the box, and you're like, oh, by the time I understand how to play well with this one skill and this sword, it's going to be time to switch it up. And oh, I got an upgraded sword, and I unlocked a new skill. So. You know, I think it has a good amount of variability in that regard, but like replayability, dude, when I'm ready to go into a new dungeon, I'm like shaking with excitement. But once it's done, the thought of going through that dungeon again feels like a chore. Oh, and I wouldn't want to. And that was that was the same way with 2.0. And quite frankly, for me, that's with any dungeon crawler. I want to get in and see what's next. It's yeah. all about the exploration. Mm-hmm. But then I don't want to do it again. You know, once I've explored it, the actual mechanics of almost any dungeon crawler for me are kind of rote. You know, I don't feel like, oh, what can I combo and how can I dispatch this this baddie this time? Right. Well, that's not the meat of the game. The meat of the game is seeing what's behind door number two. <laughs> now then. <laughs> This also leads into something else. Being a miniature player in the in the past, I could always talk out the price to enjoyment ratio. Now, you would get a mm. thing from Games Workshop and pay $135 for it with, oh, maybe 20 some odd miniatures in it. But then you're looking at you've got all that time that you're going to be putting in reading the rules putting them in interest together, customizing them how you want to, painting them up, building the scenery around it. And I could definitely say, hey, I'm going to get $135 worth of fun out of this box here. Mm -hmm. From what you're saying, I have a hard time thinking, are you getting $180 worth of fun out of this box? Oh, we crossed the line here. We normally don't like to talk about price. You know that. Come I on. know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm breaking the sacred rule. Yeah, we don't like to talk about price on Level Up because it's all subjective. You know, if, if, you, if you're unemployed, $30 is too much for a game. If you're a billionaire, a million bucks for a game is nothing. 
relative to other games, uh, I'll circle, I'll circle back. I said, I <laughs> saw on a group Facebook post, somebody was asking about Descent 3.0 and should I buy this game and tell me, you know, what's your recommendation? You know what my recommendation was for him? What's that? I told him, get Descent 2.0. You can probably find it used for 35 bucks. Download the app. You're going to get crap loads of play. They have different different campaigns, not just mm-hmm. a single campaign. You can do this campaign, that campaign, uh, three of them, free. And they have two more that you can buy, I think, on the Road to Legend app. But that's not the point. You get all these minis. You can get a pretty similar experience for one-sixth the cost. And the only thing that you're missing is having some 3D terrain and some furniture. 2.0, it's it's on the map, you know, where there's uh-huh. a point of interest instead of a little treasure chest furniture like you might find in Hero Quest. But find out if you like it based on that $35 investment. And if the difference for your enjoyment in a game is getting those pillars and those treasure chests and those cauldrons made out of cardboard, if that difference to you is worth that amount of money, well, fine. You know, I, I just, it's really hard to recommend this, co- you know, for 180 bucks, man. We so Get yourself Jaws of the Lion and Wingspan and insert other $50 game that's that's incredible. Yeah, it's know. it's a tough one there. I mean, I, I agree with you on the whole idea of going with Descent 2.0. I am behind the times on everything. And video games. Whenever the new one comes out, I get giddy because that means the old ones are going to be cheaper. So I'm I am like one or two uh, Xbox consoles behind everybody else. I guarantee it. It's one of those. You got the where, W box. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. If I can find a thirty five dollar game and I get this huge amount of enjoyment out of it, maybe it will gradually force me into. Well, not force me. That's a bad word. Guide me into going with Descent three But it just seems like it's almost more work than the fun you get out of it. But that's just me. Scott, it's to the point where if I have to, like, if I know that I'm nearing the end of a mission, and you can kind of tell because, like, okay, this map is getting big, and I've been going Mm -hmm. for 45 minutes or whatever, and it's like, okay, you need elevated terrain, grab four pillars, but I don't even bother. I just set down the terrain next to where I'm at, and I'm like, okay, I know it's elevated. I'm not going to tinker around and put this crap together. But that's not being critical of the gameplay. Mm -hmm. The gameplay, if you've played... Descent 2.0 or even 1.0. The gameplay is remarkably similar and it's deep. There's excellent opportunity to use your surge points to, to get extra attacks in and, and do extra damage. Like it's still a very fun tactical puzzle when you're, when you're interacting with enemies. It just, the delivery of it is not, I think maybe in an effort to break some ground with apps and make them a little bit more integrated this one crossed over and, and made me feel like, why why am I bothering with the, the cardboard on the puzzle? I can't sum up my thoughts very well. You know, it's going to take – maybe we'll give this one a review. It, it's, it's hard for me to say. Yeah. I, I'm leaning towards I, – I can say this right now. I am enjoying the game, but I know that if I sell it tomorrow, I can get, say, 130 back on it. I, I paid 140 and you can find it for on Miniature Market for 140 I think MSRP is 180 I'm confident that I could sell it tomorrow and get 130. And I'm debating: Do I just cut my losses? I'm out 10 bucks, but I got a few hours of enjoyment instead of waiting until the game's 120 and 110 Mm -hmm. on sale. Not because the price would plummet, but just because you know it's not in the hotness anymore. So that's usually not a good sign for for my long term view of a game. Well, and another thing too is you said this at the beginning of talking about this. This is your first impression. 
So you mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to really go through and explore it. So listeners, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. I may end up playing it. This might be one of those games where a little foreshadowing that I really don't want to play, but I end up loving it. So you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I see what here. you did there. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, Scott. I went on for, geez, 25 minutes on that. You mm-hmm. take the floor. What have you had to the table? Tell me about a recent adventure. Well, recent adventure, I played Orleon. Your turn now oh, since we're running short God. on time here. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness. Now, this came out in 2014. It was designed by Clemens, I'm sorry, Reiner Stockhausen. And the artist was Clemens Franz and published by mm-hmm. then Tasty Minstrel Games. But now will be coming out. I believe it's Capstone Games has the, the oh, publishing good. rights to it now. We played Orleon and Orleon Invasion. So we combined them up and we played the cooperative version of this. Now, I've played this oh. before that the World Gaming Championships at Seven Springs, whenever they used to have that down here in PA. Played Did game you win the championship? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I was just Make visiting. something up. Give us some cred. <laughs> <laughs> but I played it. And I realized that I played it really, really wrong. I really messed it up. And I'll go into my reasons what I did wrong here in a minute. So I was a little iffy on sitting down and playing it. I figured I'd have to learn the rules all over again. Uh, Sat down with Jason and Jenny. and They were great about brushing me up on the rules. And basically what this is, instead of a deck building game, this is a little disc building game. Now, they went all out and blinged this thing up completely with nice plastic chits with your craftsmen, scholars, monks. Did you say disc building game? I didn't mean disc building game. It's a bag building game. (laughs) But they are building it with discs inside of it. Okay, so I'm a new listener and I have no idea what you mean when you say a bag building game. So, what you're doing in this game is... You are building up the city of Orléans, and you're manning battlements to make sure to hold off the invaders. What you're doing with this is, if you're playing a deck-building game, you start off with a small deck. And as you're going along, you are going to be taking different amounts of money that show up on the cards in your hand and purchasing new cards to put in your deck and make it a little bit bigger and make it a little more robust as you go along Mm -hmm. through playing the game. This is the same way, but what you're doing is you're building your bag of discs. So you're using a farmer and a monk to make a scholar. So you take a scholar off of the board and you put it in your bag. Now, you may use that scholar later on with a knight to make, I'm not sure what what they go with uh, here, but it may send the knight to the battlements. What you're Any doing of the sh- actions that you want to take require a recipe of these villagers, exactly. and you have to draw them from your bag, as opposed mm-hmm. to a deck builder would be off the top of your deck. And the like bag, you're you seeing with of these tokens, yes, you're making recipes of different people in order to complete different jobs. So with the cooperative one, you're all trying to build the bank in order to make sure there's money to hire people to fight off the invaders. You want to get Mm -hmm. knights to the battlement. You want to have farmers to get the food. The tricky thing about this, and this is where I fell into a trap the first time I played it. I got so headstrong on one certain thing that I just went nuts. I was getting knights, getting knights, put them up to the top, put them up to the top. Well, 
the different recipes that come out, you need knights in order to complete different things and move your players around this big board in order to build the battlements. There's another board on this game here where you're building battlements to fend off the invaders. Well, if you just look at it and put all your knights on the battlements, you have no knights to guide your workers to the other places in order to do it. So, so I, once they're on the battlement, you don't get to put them back in your bag. Done. They're done. They're yes. basically gone. Okay. And the problem there is- <laughs> you, you drained your bag of all the knights. Oh, <laughs> you look at it and you just get- Thankfully, Jason and Jenny were like, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to put that up there? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Well, did you see that you still have to move over there? I'm not going to put them up on the battlements. Thank you. And this is one of those games where we had boards all over the place. We had little discs all over the place. As I said, he really went nuts with blinging it out with the metal coins and everything else. This game took over the table, but it was so yeah, I saw your picture. enjoyable. It oh, it was so much fun. It scratched the itch that my brain had. Really enjoyable experience playing this game. I take it it's been a while since you played the competitive version of the game. You said that you were worried that they'd have to reteach you, bring you back up to speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about three or okay. four years. Looking at it, I mean, a lot of the symbols came back. The symbology on the game. It's is, not a difficult game. No, no, no. It, it Once you get through one, two, three turns, you pretty much have it down what you need to do. I introduced Brennan and Mike. You know, I, I will say they're the more Ameritrash style group. Mm-hmm. We like playing our thematic romps with big handfuls of dice to shake and roll. Uh, I introduced them to Orleone because I was like, you know what? I, I think they're actually going to like this one, even though it's not. I mean, this is this is a Euro game. The well, random oh, yes. element is what, what did you pull from the bag? And you even have some control over that. It's one that they've requested to have back at the table. Oh, that's fantastic. Which shows me, one, that it's easy enough to learn. I've mentioned on the show before, my little brother uh, is is not a big-time gamer, and he was able to grasp the game no problem, and Mike thoroughly enjoyed it. So they asked for it again. I find this game really fascinating in that, much like one that we're going to be talking about for today's review, you have the opportunity to pursue several different strategies. Do I want to? Do I want to go for all these tech tiles to make things technology tiles to make things yes. easier? Do I want to try to build buildings all throughout Orleans to score points that way and go up that uh, what is it the scriptorium track? Where am I going to get my points? And you have tons of options. Do you want to go with a variety, a spread of uh, you know? I'm going to do a little bit of everything. And quite frankly, I don't know the answer. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you can go in any one of those directions and have a very, very solid game. Oh, very much so. Now, ours was a little bit different. We each were dealt a card at the beginning of the game of Mm -hmm. a different objective we had to complete. So once we all So that's specific to the co-op. Yes. So once we finished that, it was done. So as far as going through and trying to make sure we got points for everything... That was a little bit different. We didn't go into that. So hopefully next time I get to play Orleone, I will definitely play the competitive version and see how that works out then. How do you lose in the co-op? Uh, so to you win, lose, you all have to meet your objective on the card. How do you lose? You have um, little event tiles that come out. I think there were mm-hmm. 18 of them. And each turn, you flip one over and something good or something bad possibly happens or something not at all. Just It's just a normal day. So once those 18 tiles are gone, the game is over. If you have not completed those objectives, 
that's it. You lost the game. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd be willing to give that a try. Uh, when a game has a co-op mode, I prefer to play the competitive mode. I think that adds a human element to the game that, that makes it a, a bit more robust, a bit more strategic. But for a game like Corleone, that sounds like fun. It worked out very well playing against it. You did feel the pressure of the timing, trying to get everything done. I mean, we looked at it at the beginning, and they're saying, well, we need to get this done here and have eight nights on the battlements, and we need to get this much food. I'm just thinking, there's not a way in whatever we're going to get this thing done. (laughs) Halfway through it, we're almost completed. It was like, how did we do this? There's definitely an awesome, awesome game inside that box. That was Orleone Invasion, the cooperative expansion. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Brave adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP, L-E-V-E-L-U-P. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot, get 10% off with promo code LEVELUP. Now, I know you couldn't have just played Descent. Did you play anything else at all? Plugging platforms into pillars. (laughs) Yeah, I got one to the table that you actually played with me not that long ago. A game called Grindhouse. Oh, yes. This is designed by John Cohn, published by Everything Epic Games in 2020. So in Grindhouse, you receive an invitation to take part in a mysterious contest at the Grindhouse, an old mansion that once stood at the largest slaughterhouse in the state. The invitation is signed simply by an individual known as the host. The letter promises you the opportunity to play a game to win a reward greater than you could possibly imagine. You arrive at a decaying mansion on a hill along with five other strangers. A tall, narrow man in a tuxedo opens the huge, ominous doors to usher you inside. Thanks for attending this evening, the host says in a deep, ominous voice. The entertainment will be to die for. <laughs> okay, so Grindhouse. This is a horror-themed game for two to six players. And I gotta say, this is a light-hearted activity that's meant to draw out the laughs. So to start the game, everybody's gonna get a character card, and they put body part tokens onto their tableau. A head, torso, two arms, two legs. We all know the, you know, the foot bone's connected to the leg bone, right? The game board simply holds five random rooms. Four of them come from one stack, and the final room comes from a stack of 17 final rooms. So you know it's going to be a little bit tougher. Everybody's going to get two items and two personas. The items are kind of what you would expect, and, and then some. And the persona cards give you an idea of your character and special rules pertaining to you. So basically, what's going to happen during the game, the first player is going to pick up that first room card and read it, and eventually it'll have this little like red bloodline. You remember that? Yes. So that's where you're going to stop reading, and bold letters give the table a decision to make, and it's going to have consequences. So in, geez, if I can remember way back to when we played, I think it was Ryan pulled a card that says that there's basically a jug of Kool-Aid on the table. Oh, God, yes, yes. 
That's you what remember it was. that there were enough yes. drinks in it for everybody to have one. So we had five players. Basically, there was enough in there for five <laughs> drinks, and we had to decide amongst ourselves how to divide them up and who would drink how many. So we're like, <laughs> okay, guys. So here's and Ryan's like, oh, I'm drinking them all. <laughs> Just we, like we all started to like try and play the game a little. He's like, I want them all. I'm drinking them, and I'm pretty sure he died on the spot. <laughs> <for> <laughs> <Yeah>. doing, <so. laughs> Now, normally the game mechanic would be like, okay, everybody who took a sip has to uh, wound two arms. So each of your limbs, you, you have a wound where you flip it over and then it's gone. Amputate. Just remove the, the piece from the board. And it's actually kind of funny. Your tableau without those little chits on it, you know, the, the <clears throat> what do you call them, the extremities in yes. your head. Without it, it's just a body with nubs, bloody nubs on it. Yes. It's kind of, kind of grotesque. <laughs> So the game gives you these fun little scenarios and decisions with every one of these room cards. The goal is essentially don't die. Survive to the end of the game. The items can be fun. Jeez, this might have been in our play. This might have been the, the more recent one. Chris had an engagement ring that he gave to Jeremy. And from there on, they like they were married. The engagement ring says, you know, give this to someone else. You're married to them. If they win, you win too. Like you, I think you win that was our now, play, yes. Even if somebody else died. So you could be dead and still win the game in that situation. <laughs> And these personas give each player a unique feel. So I'm playing this with Mike and he flips his persona card and he started howling. I was like, what in the hell? He drew the snowman persona uh, and it, it, at the top it says frosty. He had no legs and he was vulnerable to fire. He was basically a snowman. And while he had no legs, he could heal a little every turn. So that was his means of, of sort of balancing out the fact that he started the game with some damage, right? Oh um, my goodness. I've played this few a few times and it gets some laughs for sure. Scott, I know it's been a while. What did you think of Grindhouse? Remembering Grindhouse, whenever you go to someone's house and they're having a party and someone says, Hey, let's play cards against humanity, that's whenever you raise up your hand and say, No, let's play Grindhouse. <laughs> Trust me. You will enjoy it more. You get the same sort of humor out of this, you get the same sort of laughs. But there's actually thought going on. You aren't playing mm -hmm. the game to playing who the judge is. You're playing the game trying to stay alive. And you can make stupid decisions. Yes, I will drink all five of those cups of Kool-Aid. <laughs> Give them to me. But it's a quick game to play. The artwork makes it funny. Whenever you see a guy in a suit with no leg at the bottom and his face is all messed up, his glasses are hanging off sideways. It's just stupid fun. Yeah. A great yeah. little icebreaker or something to, yes, to yes, exactly. fill in half an hour while you're waiting on the last guy to show up or to end the night on. Mm -hmm. They played to mm -hmm. that niche of, we aren't going to center a game night on this game. It ain't going to happen. But for that icebreaker, like you said, for that waiting for other people to show up, for, hey, let's just play something silly. We can't really think right now. We've been playing seven hours of twilight imperium let's play this it's just silly fun and it fills that hole in your game night perfectly i agree if you're looking for thematic romp you know a lengthy epic game this obviously isn't it if you want to think you're this obviously isn't it this isn't catering to you and if you're listening going uh yeah i don't i think i'm going to pass on grindhouse yeah you're probably going to want to pass on mm -hmm. grindhouse but if your group does regularly get something like a munchkin to the table or an exploding kittens, this is better than those. This fills that time slot in your game day, but it is 
better. And it does have some decisions to make. Sometimes there's barely a hint at any of the potential rewards or consequences. But you know what? This is one that you can break out with non-gamer friends. You can break it out yes. with gamer friends in between. Uh, it's it's going to work. I had a lot of fun with it. I look at it, it's almost in the same vein as Betrayal on House on the Hill in a way. It's the mm, same type yeah. of theme. Now, granted, you don't have the 50 scenarios, but still, it's one of those things where you're making the same Well, type you've of got decisions. all those rooms. Yeah, the, yeah. The four rooms plus the final room are going to be totally different every time. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's a quicker Betrayal on House on, uh, house on the Hill. Now, I'm not going to claim that Betrayal has oodles of strategy because it doesn't, <laughs> but Betrayal actually has more strategy than this. If yes. I'm sitting down to play, the the only thing that I've found consistent is if the game gives you an option, you probably don't want to be the person. You know, if it's like there's a string dangling <laughs> or the skeleton is wearing a hat and there's a sign that says, wear my hat, who's going to do it? Typically, you don't want to be the person that puts on the skeletons. Don't be uh, a Ryan. Or, yeah, yeah. Don't drink all that Kool-Aid. Fun little game. That's Grindhouse. But enough about Grindhouse. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, you got a fun title to the table, and I had a chance to play this with you. Why don't you tell us about it? Yes, I did get a fun game to the table. We got to play Funfair. And it's like this we're was better at our segues. Yeah. Uh-huh. We should note that Funfair was quite generously provided to us by Good Games Publishing, designed by Joel Finch and published by Good Games Publishing. Now, in Funfair, you're the owner of an amusement park. In order to do this and build your amusement park, you have to build attractions to pe- bring people in. You need to hire different employees to help you run the amusement park. So, You have a board, you have a ton of cards of different types of rides, upgrades, flags. I want to say there were six cards in that market. Yes, there were six cards in the market, and they have a lot of different themes. There were Western themes, robot themes, jungle themes, and I'm trying to remember what the fourth one was, fairy tale. Fairy tale. So- if you've played in the past Roller Coaster Tycoon, it's very similar to that. So what you're going to be doing is each turn, you have different phases of the turn. First thing, you have an event. You flip over the event card and something happens for everyone. This could be something where the city messed up your bank account. You get five extra dollars. It could be something that a celebrity is coming to your park. You can count the number of people to come to your park twice whenever you collect the income at the end Mm -hmm. you go through that you play the event then you go into the phases of building your park so what you're going to do is you're going to take a look at your cards you have on top of it how many different people will come along with that card there's a little star up there saying two so at the end of the entire turn you will get two income for that one ride the whole idea is to build up rides that give you a lot of money so as you're doing of this, course. you're going to be building your park. You can build one piece of your park. You can build a sideshow. You can build a exciting ride. You can build a haunted house, a food building, any sort of things you can do that you can. I think they call that a fun. restaurant. I'm going back to <laughs> ancient times when there were numerous food buildings. Thank you very much, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but each one of these you can upgrade with comfortable seats, air conditioning, 
with flags on them. You can do all sorts of different silly little upgrades. You can do this. One point in time, we had the Westworld theme going where we had a Western robot-themed exciting ride or something like that, I think it was. Oh, yeah. So it was. it's, it's craziness what you do with this. Now, at the beginning of the game, you're all given one mega ride. This is like your main ride that everything is going to be surrounding. As you go along, each turn, you will be getting investments from your investors. They will give you five extra coins to go towards your big ride there. Mega ride. So the whole idea here is, do you want to just build it as quickly as you can to get that extra income from people and beat everyone else? Or do and you the extra wait? action. Yes. And then you also get an extra action with that one. So that you'll be getting four phases of your building phase. Another part of this is you get blueprint and you need to follow a blueprint and you may have to build a restaurant with super quality and air conditioning. And if you do that, you get 10 points. But if you don't build it, you lose 10 points. So you really mm-hmm. got to take a look and see. We were playing this. I had a blueprint where I had to do that. I could not find a restaurant to save my life. And it ended up, we were down to the very last turn of the game. I just opted for taking some extra money and it was horrible. Then at the end, you count how many customers came in. You get down amount of money to build onto your next season. Then you refresh everything, take all the cards off the table, put out six new ones and start all over again with a new event. Now, Patrick, what did mm-hmm. you think of Funfair? There's a lot of game for just an hour. I want to say four of us got that done yes. in 45 minutes or an mm-hmm. hour. And there is a lot of game there. There's some. There's a little bit of mathing out. There's some action allocation. So you have those three phases of the turn and you do one action each phase. There is a balancing act of do I take a blueprint so that I have something to shoot for towards endgame scoring? Do I build something in the middle for fear that it won't be there when it comes back to me? Or do I play one of the cards in my hand because I need to, it's going to give me extra income or whatever it might be. Some of those, uh, okay, well, let's start here. I love the fact that you're allowed five attractions. That's it. Mm -hmm. So you got to be a little choosy once you have, say, three down. It's like, well, do I really want to put this one down? I might need to switch it up. What are my blueprints dictating that I do? It was it was a blast. You have those uh, the entertainers, the people, the employees that you yes. can put into your park. So I was building Fairy Tale Land because my initial ride was the like the Witch Tower, and it mm. said it has a built-in fairy tale theme. And then early on, I got the the park the employee that said for every fairy tale upgrade that you have, you're going to get three points. And I was like, oh wow! So this this is already three for that, three for herself. I'm going to try and build up Fairyland. It's fun. If I had any opposition or anything that I wish was a little bit different, this feels like a game that's ripe for expansion. I wish that there were like two more themes. Uh, That deck, we got through that deck in a game and had to Mm -hmm. reshuffle, which is fine. And it is kind of nice knowing going in, okay, there is one employee that gives the Fairyland bonus. One employee for the Western, but you know, for each of the different themes. It's kind of nice going into it knowing that there's only one because then you know how to value it when you see it. That said, it is kind of like, I want to say we saw that air conditioning upgrade. <laughs> oh, yes. There, yes. there have to be four of those in the deck. I think the max of any given card is four. So there's one for each player. Now, you're not limited to just one of each card. Mm-hmm. So I could take 
air conditioning and put it on all my stuff. And maybe my blueprint will give me big time points for doing it. It's not Orléans. It's not Descent. You know, it's 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 not mm-hmm. Grand Austria Hotel, but for a medium weight game, it offers a lot more than many other medium weight games. Not only in that it has good gameplay, but a really strong theme. I like it. Well, I will definitely have to get you into playing Unfair then, because that's I guess the where difference the- there is that the events aren't nice. Oh no, 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 no! Some of the events can be quite bloodthirsty. You can close down, like send an inspector over to your opponent's amusement park, shut down their main ride, shut down all food, all restaurants. Plus, as far as expansions go, you have vampires, you have gangsters, you have dinosaurs, you have Western, you have B-movies, you have aliens. I've been working with them a little bit behind the scenes as far as doing some playtesting with some of the new sets coming out. There's some really great, great things. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you taught me it and that I had a lot of fun with it. That's well, I'm certainly glad fair. to hear that. So yes, fun fair. Are we really going to try and fit in the top 100 here, Patrick? Don't stop it. I like it. All right. All right. Scott, we have a change in the top 10. Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion bumps up to number five. Do you know what it bumped down to number six? Uh, My beloved... Twilight uh, oh, Imperium no. 4th edition. Oh, I know dear. nobody wants to play it now. It's number 6 all time. <laughs> Falling on Mars. We've been we keep putting that in our climbing. On Mars went down a couple spots to number 56 as did Fields of Arl. This one down 2 to 66 and Rising Sun. I think that's the second time you mentioned this one down to 90. I'm thinking mm. its time is limited in the top 100. Highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been in the top 100. Spirit Island, number 11. And not wow. the door of the top 10. Dune Imperium is all the way up to 35. I like that. Clank Legacy, we mentioned that one, I think, in episode one or two. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's going to keep climbing. And it is. It's up to 42. Barrage keeps climbing to 49. Arnak right behind at 53. Mm -hmm. And Eclipse, second on for the galaxy, up to 69. A lot of familiar names this time. Nothing new on the top 100 since last we checked. But it's nice to see some movement going on there and that people are getting on there, playing new games and rating the games. That's awesome. Well, let's talk birthdays. The crew, Quest for Planet Nine, has been on there for a year. And the next three, Scott, these are extra special because the guy that posts all these top 100s, he's been doing so for X number of years and ever Mm -hmm. since the top 100 was a thing. Uh, So these are games that were in the original top 100 20 years ago. Oh, my. El Grand, Tigris and Euphrates, and Crokinole. 20 years of top 100 how about that holy cow that's amazing hey adventurers it's time to do the walkthrough of our review game today grand austria hotel designed by virginio gigli and simone luciani and published by mayfair games in 2015 Grand Austria Hotel is a game that challenges two to four players to serve guests in their cafe and build the best hotel in Vienna over the course of seven rounds of play. To begin the game, each player is given a player board that depicts their hotel with three rooms available and spaces for several more rooms to be added throughout the game. There is a chart in the middle of your board that shows your current funds. 
And finally, a kitchen and cafe can be found at the bottom of the player board. The kitchen houses a player's resources, while the cafe area allows up to three guests to be seated, reserved for you alone. Also, before starting the game, each player is dealt six staff cards. These are the employees of the hotel who offer a wide range of abilities. These can be anything from residual income, bonus resource production, or even end-of-game scoring. The main board features a market of guests that are available as well as two scoring tracks, the Emperor track and the Politics track. Let's begin with these tracks. It's quite simple. The Emperor track offers you bonuses at the end of certain rounds so long as you have met a threshold. However, if you have not, there will be a penalty. I should note that three Emperor tiles depict these rewards and penalties and they can vary from game to game. The politics area is simply three cards with targets for players to score points. One might say, fill 10 rooms. The first player to do so will place a marker there and will score 15 points at the end of the game. Each subsequent player to do so will still place a marker on the politics card, but will score fewer points. The guests in the market are simple, really. At the start of your turn, you may take one and move it to your cafe. They each depict a recipe of resources to fulfill. When you've done so, the guest goes from your cafe into a room in the hotel. This simply means setting the card aside and flipping an open room token in your hotel to its closed side. But of course, once you eat, what do you want to do? You want to take a nap. Now that we understand the goals of the game, let's talk about the main draw of Grand Austria Hotel, and that is the pool of dice. At the start of each round, the pool of dice are rolled, and each number slots into a dice tableau in its appropriate space. All the ones in the one spot, all the twos in the two spot, I think you know where I'm going with the rest of them. When it's your turn, you choose one die. In doing so, you will get the depicted action X number of times, where X is how many dice were in that spot. For example, the one space allows a player to collect strudel or cake. If there were four dice in the one spot, that would mean you collect four resources cubes of strudel and or cake. The next player will still be allowed to take a die from the one space, but now there were only three dice, so they would collect just three strudel and or cake. The other spaces allow players to collect wine and or coffee, hire employees, prepare new rooms, or move up X spaces on the Emperor track. The sixth slot is special, acting as a wild. Suppose you need strudel, but there is only one die remaining in that slot. The sixth slot costs a dollar, but it allows you to choose any of the other five actions and carry out according to the number of dice that were in the sixth space. That is a lot to take in, but just know that this is a dice drafting game, which you really might not have many dice on it, and therefore it is often wise to play tactically and do what yields the highest return in the moment. There are a handful of free actions available on your turn as well, namely activating a staff member or moving food and drink from your kitchen to your cafe. Play will continue until the end of the seventh round, at which point players will score the number of rooms they have filled, the score they have achieved on the politics cards, the guests whose orders they have fulfilled, and some points for remaining resources. The player with the most points has created the most prestigious cafe and hotel in Vienna, the Grand Austria Hotel. As with any walkthrough, there is much more to this game than I discussed here. 
The rooms and guests have a specific color, so a blue guest card may only be placed in the blue room. There are incentives to fill rooms in certain blocks, and there is a very strategic reason to pass on your turn rather than take a die. That said, I hope this walkthrough gives you a nice feel for what the game offers. Well, now adventurers know a thing or two about visiting inns at the end of a day's journey, so let's give the level up treatment, the 8-bit breakdown to Grand Austria Hotel. In the thick of the Viennese modern age, exquisite cafes are competing for customers. Inspiring artists, important politicians, and tourists from all over the world are populating Vienna and in need of a hotel room. This is your opportunity to turn your little cafe into a world-famous hotel. Hire staff, fulfill the wishes of your guests, and gain the Emperor's favor. Only then will your cafe become the Grand Austria Hotel. Ooh, I like that. That sounded great. Scott, first and foremost, thank you for that walkthrough of today's review game, Grand Austria Hotel. Adventurers, as you know, we like to break down our games in the 8-bit breakdown. I feel like we got to say that more epic moving forward. The 8-bit <laughs> breakdown. Down, in this down, case, down, of, down. <laughs> very good, yes. Of Grand Austria Hotel. Let's start with bit number one, where we like to talk art and components. Why don't you take the lead? All right, art and components. I like this. This is just, it's a basic game. There are a lot of symbols in this. Love the artwork. The artwork is great. It's not realistic, but it's not cartoony. It's somewhere nice in the middle there. Oh, it's Clemens but, Franz. Oh, yeah. yeah so if you know okay. like uh, Le Havre and Orléans, it's your Clemens exactly. Franz art. I love it. The symbols are just overwhelming at times. There's uh, you, a bunch. I wish they had more player aids in here with the listing of all the symbols of everything instead of having to constantly go back to the rule book, look it up and see what does what. Because you have symbols on the employees, you have symbols on the guests that are coming, you've got symbols everywhere. And Symbols uh, on the emperor track, symbols on the politics cards, and they're yes. not very intuitive, are they? No, definitely not. And if they had that, that would be fantastic. That's the only little thing I could say that would improve the components of this game. What are I your basically thoughts? said the same thing. There's nothing special here, but there isn't anything that's like, oh, this is this is flawed. There are a lot of symbols, but there's no way around that. You remember the first time that we played, I set the rule book off to the side and I was like, guys, I'm going to leave this right here because this is where all mm -hmm. the references are and you're going to need them. And I'll be darned if literally everybody at that table, at least twice, didn't have to pick up the rule book to reference something. And they're, what they do is each of the guests and each of your assistants for in the hotel, each of your staff cards, they have their names on them, but they're either cursive or tiny. They are tiny. So which one is that? You start squinting your eyes, getting on your, uh, your readers so that you can see what it is. And then you flip open the book and it says exactly what they are. So a, a little bit of a hiccup there, but... You know, I'm not going to say, well, this game's bad because the, they had cursive writing that was little. <laughs> no, nah, it was fine. And, and eventually, I think by by the time we were on our third play, it was like, okay, I know what this guy does. So yeah, let's it, get to it bit starts to come make, make sense there. So let's get to bit number two, the theme and immersion. This one kind of hit home to me because... <laughs> I knew I'm, this was coming. <laughs> in another life, I was a hotel manager. So all these things... They really kind of nailed things pretty good on here. 
the whole idea is you want to fill your hotel. And every time I looked at the hotel board as to where we're putting in the rooms and opening up the rooms, cleaning the rooms, all I could hear is my one district manager saying, you got to get heads and beds. That's all it is. Heads and beds. And all that went through my time every time playing this game is heads and beds, heads and beds. <laughs> and it's true because you want to get people into the rooms you get the points for getting so many people in the certain colored rooms. So basically what you're doing, you're starting out, you want to get people into your restaurant. You get them into the restaurant, you feed them. Once you feed them, they got to sleep. They're a little, yeah, they got uh, a full little belly. tired. The trip to fans kicking in from the turkey dinner they had, they want to go to bed. So you tuck them away into a bedroom. The main thing that's a tricky thing here is the dice pool. It makes it frustrating at times because you can't get the dice you want. But the dice element of this is very, very tricky. And it's not a thematic tie-in. It doesn't produce no, immersion no, or anything no, no. like that. Now, you know what would produce immersion and really tie in thematically is if they had some Benadryl cards. You're giving everybody mm. cake and you're giving them coffee and wine. I, now, I can understand a wine, but you know if you could put Benadryl in with that, then they'd definitely go to a – There you <laughs> Then go. they're yeah, staying yep, the night. Yep, yep. Yeah, as far as Euro games go, this theme came through a little bit for me in a few ways, actually, between the, the kitchen filling up and the tables fitting onto the bottom of the board, you know, kind of mm -hmm. seamlessly. They work the art into it. The room tiles having the open and the closed side. Now, this the immersion is not the type that has me feeling like I'm personally running a hotel, but I, I was immersed in the strategy of the game. And I think that maybe that's the immersion that a Euro is looking for. I'm looking for those die roll setups when you start around and I'm leaning in. Oh, show me a bunch of fours, you know, I'm trying to be mm -hmm. mindful of the sections of the rooms that I'm filling for those bonuses and seeing where I'm at on the Emperor. Like I'm constantly looking at all these, these things and actually taking interest. You know, you, you always do that in, in a Euro game or games with tracks that you want to be higher up on. But in this one, it was like, Okay, I, I really do need to pay attention to that. And is that room open? Yeah, I see the little guy standing out there. It, it gives a little bit of flavor more than a lot of other Euro games do. Most definitely. Now I'm going to twist it around here. What were your thoughts on the complexity? Uh, it's not an easy game to learn, but it's not hard either. The dice are rolled when you start around. On your turn, you take a guest into your hotel, and then you get to select a die and carry out its action based on the number of dice that were on that number. Simple. You can then pay to move food from your kitchen to a guest in order to send them off into a room. Simple. I know I'm basically just redoing your walkthrough here, but <laughs> I suppose that there is some complexity in determining what's the most efficient way to pursue a game. I think you have to come into Grand Austria Hotel accepting that some turns you're, you're just not going to get to do what you want to do. You're going to want to take the cake mm -hmm. die, but there are five dice on the four, so you need to pivot. The complexity is learning how everything scores and prioritizing appropriately so that when it is time to pivot, you'll see it. Here we go. Pivot. Pivot. Yeah, as far as the complexity goes, you look at it, you see all the symbols, you see everything else. Yes, it can be a bit off-putting, but put that aside. Get into it and give it a try. The complexity of this is you got to look at so many things here. You've got your customers coming in. You've got your dice you're selecting to do the certain actions. You've got your hotel that you're running. You've got to make sure that the emperor is proud of what you're doing. You have to take care of the politicking cards that are going on at the top. There are a lot of things going on here 
but I think that it works all together well. They mesh together well, give you a nice synergy with everything. Once you get past that first couple turns of not having a clue what the hell you're doing, it turns out to be a really great experience. Now, you were the one that taught us this. Mm-hmm. So now that we did all look at the rule book, <laughs> we were all looking <laughs> we at the all rule book did, yes. quite a bit. What was it like looking at the main rules? The meat Did that take up a lot? Oh, no. This, this rule book's excellent. I, you know what? I find myself always saying, oh, yeah, it has big pages and a lot of examples. But to me, that is a lot of what makes for a good rule book. It's surprising mm-hmm. how many games screw up the rule book. And Grand Austria Hotel did not do that. It has plenty of examples. Uh, walk me through the game in a way that made sense. And it's one of those ones that has like a manager or something like it breaks the fourth wall to talk to you. He's like, hi, my name is Sven and I'll be helping you through this. So like there's a little bit of interactivity with the rule book. Uh, so if that's your thing, it does have that. I still don't know if I personally love that or hate it in rule books, but <laughs> it's there. As you said, the last few pages are all references for the wait staff, the guests, the emperor bonus tiles, the politics scoring tiles, the actual mechanics of the game. They, they lay out and teach very easily, very in a way that I could understand. (laughs) Uh, And it only takes a few pages for that matter. So good rule book. What about the learning curve? I taught this to you guys. So automatically, I am sure you learned it. No problem. But grokking the game, what'd you think? Yes, you did a great job of teaching the game. Uh, There's there's no question about that. You have a great way of, of going about that, making it accessible to the players. The learning curve really came in with trying to keep track of, like I said before, everything that's going on, your customers, your hotel rooms, the emperor, what the symbols do. There's a lot to that, but sure, your first time through, you're going to do terrible. I mean, it's going to happen, but you have those moments of brilliance whenever you find out one thing that you're going to get a lot of points for. And I know with me, I'm really proud of whenever I match up like all the rooms that are together with one color. I may end up losing, but I had that one moment of genius. Whenever you get that first moment of genius, then you link it with another one and then another one. You start to see how all of the systems interact. Exactly. And that is such a rewarding moment whenever that happens and the engine starts moving and you start getting things going. It's not really a matter of taking a good bit of time to work on the learning curve as much as it is keeping track of what the symbols mean. That Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing with this game. Yeah, getting a familiarity with it, it, that's really where the, I would think the difficulty is. Yes, yes. Replayability and variability. I'm going to kick it back to you. What do you think? Whenever you get the board with the hotel, everyone has the same board. Mm -hmm. that's just flat out everyone has the same board but once you get to the point where you get more comfortable with it you're playing with it a lot you you want a little bit more of a challenge you flip that board over now i'm not sure i didn't take a look at all of them but it seems like the rooms are all in different orders yeah you're gonna have different uh like we'll say it's not polyomino shapes but you have four different levels of rooms and a grouping of a room for example might be one, two, three, etc. rooms. And sometimes they're in a square. Sometimes it's a line of three or a column of three, a row, etc. They're all the same on the, I think it's the day side, side of that board. But whenever uh, yes, you flip it yes. up to the back, all four of them have a slightly different alignment of where things are at. 
And that's a great way whenever you feel a little more confident with the game, it's great to flip that over and get a whole new feeling of that because what you're used to is thrown out the window. You need to look at it and you need to come up with a new strategy to do this. And it, it, that makes it a lot of fun. I, I definitely think there's replayability to it. The variability comes in with that, with the cards that are played, the dice that are rolled. You never know exactly what dice are going to come up each and every time. I don't know. I'm, I didn't get enough to play it enough to know if it would play itself out at any point in time in the near future. Mm-hmm. It's one that I would play anytime someone said, hey, do you want to play Grand Austria Hotel? Yes, I will play it. But I don't know if it's one of those ones that I would constantly say, let's play it, let's play it, let's play it, if that makes It's a sense. rotation game. Yeah, I know exactly uh, yeah, what you mean. It's not something it. yeah. that you're going to like, oh, the, the next you know five months worth of game days, this is going to be one that we get to the table. No, it's in the rotation of mm. active games. I always say, okay, so we know people that have 300 games and – Geez, Tiny Fred has literally every game. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Tiny, for example, probably tries to get a new game to the table every time he plays, but every now and then one of them strikes him and goes, you know what, this this one's gonna stay on on the nearby shelf. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna get back to this one soon. I think eventually most gamers they get a rotation, like like for mine. I think every time we go to a meetup, you know, I, I'm going to have no thanks there. I'm going to have Wingspan yes. there. They're, they're approachable and easy games. So they're games that I'm constantly going to have that I'm coming back to. Yes. Some games, we play it, and I want to get right back to it immediately. A game like uh, like for me was Yido. I've had that game for a while now. Just got that deluxe. We've reviewed that one a few mm-hmm. episodes back. Yido is a game that I got to the table and wanted to get it back to the table. And the next day, I wanted to get it back to the table the next week, the week after that, and play it 15 times and then put it away for a year. Grand Austria tells one that I think is going to go on that shelf and be always available. So like, you know what? I'll play it this month. I'll play it next month. A couple months from now, Christmas. Yeah, I'll play it again. It, rotation game. You heard it here first. Yes. Replayability did. and variability. You have opening weight staff cards. Those are basically going to be what provide you asymmetry compared with other players. More so even than the variable board if you turn it over. The fact that I might have things that are going to give me the coffee every turn where somebody else might have a whole bunch of endgame scoring weight staff. Well, right then and there, we both have very different strategies for how we're going to approach the game. The guests and the order that they arrive, sure. The Emperor track tiles, that's going to change each game a little bit. Same with the politics scoring, but not like, oh, wow, did you see what politics cards came out and in what order? This is wild. No, they they change a little bit of the you know what you're shooting for each game. They, they change what you prioritize, but they don't change the whole game. I think there's a basic formula to follow in Grand Austria Hotel, which is take efficient dice, get guests into rooms, and be mindful of the emperor and politics tracks. The variability arises in that you're going to have different ingredients to use every game in order to follow that basic formula. Very well put. I'm That's very proud of you. Book quality reviewing. <laughs> Wait, we got to tap. We got to pat ourselves on the back, otherwise no one else will. Scott, were there any downsides to Grand Austria Hotel? Bit number seven: downsides. Well. We've been talking about it the whole time here. It's the first thing I wrote down, too. Yeah, it's just the symbols. Seven Wonders has a great thing where they have a listing of all the symbols because that's another game that has a ton of symbols in there. 
It has a lot of symbols on the rule book, and then has another page that you can hand out to the players and they can pass amongst themselves. So you've got two of them going there. This one, you had one. So many times whenever you're playing a game and you hear someone say, can I see the rule book? It's like the hairs on the back of my neck go up because mm-hmm. it's like they're thinking how they can break the game. And I don't want them to do that. But no, they're just looking up the back to see what this arrow going into a box means. That would be the biggest thing that they could change to make this game great is just give some more player aids out on little cards and pass those around. I mean, it's something we can print out easily at home. We could probably yeah, but look you it up somewhere. have to do that. Exactly. If a non-gamer came into your game shop and was like, yeah, I'll try this out. They don't even know that the BGG exists, maybe. Right. Yeah. And that's my biggest thing there. And it sounds like you have the same thing. Oh, I definitely have the symbols. I'll I'll get a little bit more nitpicky. This got long with four players, didn't it? Now, Mm -hmm. I won't mention any names, but we did have one player that plays significantly slower, I think, than most players that we play with. But Mm -hmm. nevertheless, it did get long. And this has that sort of snake draft. Like if you go first in the round, then you're last in the round. If you're fourth, well, you're fourth and fifth. So you are going to have times where you take an action. Then you're going to watch six other actions occur before – well, six other player turns occur before you get to go again. And that can get – that can get long. Tedious. Some of the print on the cards could be bigger. Uh, Those Mm -hmm. names for some of those people could be bigger. The waitstaff cards, I presume, are balanced, but I would bet if you played this a few dozen times, you'd start to suss out which ones are the best ones to have in the opening hand or which ones lend to a a good late game strategy. The last thing that I thought, you know what? I I don't know if this was just a a poorly executed strategy from, from one of our, one of our, but Tom, I'm calling you out. Tom had a bum game. (laughs) Money drains quickly, and he drained his money immediately. Now, I don't know that that's a flaw with the game or just a a poor decision on behalf of Tom, but he just couldn't do anything the whole game. I I almost felt bad for the guy who was sitting watching the the other three of us play the game. Yeah. You have to be very careful with your opening salvo, if you will, of what you're going to buy as soon as you get out. You don't want to go guns and blazing going out, I'm going to hire you, I'm going to hire you, I'm going to buy this. Or it better be worth it. You better get an immediate return. Yes, yes, very much so. Let's bring it on home. Bit number eight. Scott, was it fun? And who is this game for? Yes, it was fun. I had a great time playing this game. This is one of those games that I want to learn how to play better. I want to dig into some of the strategies a little bit more. There's so many different ways you can win. Putting people in beds getting employees that can give you points. There's a lot of ways to win at this. I want to dig in and explore a lot more. Excellent. I'm I'm glad you liked it. I really enjoy Grand Austria Hotel as well, and I think I'm going to be playing it again on the next game day with the Lobster Crew. It scratches the Euro itch, and it presents a satisfying and fun puzzle. Now, this is not an entry-level Euro. This is mid-weight. Who's it for? If if your group enjoyed some of the more entry-level Euro puzzle games, this would be a really good next step. Maybe you just happen to miss out on it uh, or just never got around to it. But, I mean, if you enjoyed Altaplano, if you enjoy Coimbra, I think Grand Austria Hotel is going to be pretty comfortable on your game table. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, that was a fun review. Man, I tell you, we're doing a lot of Euros lately. We're going to have to mix it up here soon. I know I'm going to change it up here with our uh, discussion topic, so that's definite. Well, let's get on with it. 
today's discussion topic is what was a game that you were not hyped for at all that turned out to be pretty damn good you cannot look me in the eye and say that there is not a game that you have heard everyone hyped about that you weren't interested in but you realized hey this is pretty cool yeah, you finally get a chance to give it a play or you're backed into a corner and you're like, all right, I'll give it a try. And next thing you know, you're looking to buy it. Yes. We've yes. been there. You know what? This kind of stemmed from our discussion a few episodes ago that we were talking about a time that a game was all kinds of hyped up and it bit you in the butt. I was hyped yes. for this. Everybody was saying how good it was and I got it and uh, so disappointed. Well, we're flipping that around and saying, well, what was the time that there was no hype for you? And you know what? It was pretty darn good. Do you want to talk about ours first, or do you want to get into some of the discussion that we gathered from the community? I think we ought to talk about ours first. Okay. Why don't you take the lead? I had seen a lot of people watching this on Netflix and watching this on Amazon and watching this anywhere you can stream stuff. I'll admit, I'm a fan. My game here, the first one was Bob Ross, The Art of Chill Game. Oh, for crying out loud. It's back. Really? Yes. It's just a pleasant experience. It's fun. It's simple. Unlike Grand Austria Hotel, you don't have to look at all these different symbols and figure things out. You learn how to play this really quick. And it's a great palate cleanser. I looked at it. It has an IP on it. This has got to suck. I'm sorry. I'm not excited to play this game. Tom at the shop. He pulled it out, said, hey, let's let's play this. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> and I started getting my thalo blue out. I started looking at the happy little trees. And I had a very pleasant time playing this game. It just felt good to play it. It mm-hmm. wasn't like my brain was hurting afterwards. There was a little bit of strategy with it. Not much, but it was just a nice palate cleansing type of game. And like I said, my biggest thing about it was the IP. I was scared That's what to kept death. you. Yeah. Those kind of things, whenever you have games with IPs on them, normally it's roll a die, move this many spaces. Roll a die, move this many spaces. And this one, it wasn't. I mean, it was. It uh, hasn't been that way for a lot of the bigger IPs for a few years. Right, But to right. your point, when the IP is Bob Ross, yeah, that's when the the – the siren starts going off like, okay, they've made some great IPs in recent years. You know, mm-hmm. Firefly. I'm not going to list all the IP games that are great, but that's one that I would not expect to, oh, yeah, no, they really broke the mold and made a quality game out of Bob Ross. Yeah. What's a game that came up for you that you're like, I don't have the the urge to play this, but once you did, it was like, whoa. Kiro. K-E-R-O, Kiro. It's a two-player game where it's like a a post-apocalyptic wasteland and fuel is running out and you collect resources and and you're trying to get these scoring tiles. Relatively simple game, but the thing that kept me away from it was that it uses sand timers. Flip the sand timer. And in my experience, real-time games like that, well, real-time, games where you're on the clock, you know, Mm -hmm. flipping a timer and you have to do all your... Most of those that I've played suck. (laughs) Flat out, they're just not good. Kira does it a little bit differently in that it's not forcing you to cram in a whole bunch of stuff. You you just roll dice. And then if you don't like a couple of the dice, you can pick them up and re-roll them as much as you want. It basically says, 
you you have free reign over the Yahtzee mechanic, and you're only limited by your time. Mm-hmm. And once you've said, you know what, I'm okay with these dice, that it's really cool too. Your little sand timer, it's in a truck, like a plastic toy truck, like a tanker truck. So whenever you want to mm-hmm. start your timer, you flip your truck up. And then whenever you're like, okay, I like my dice, you flip it down and you can see how much sand, like how much fuel your truck has left. So nice thematic tie in with the sand timer, but it's not imposing on the gameplay. And it's kind of funny when the refuel mechanic in order to get more sand, you just flip the truck the other way and the sand starts going back. So there are ways that you can can refuel. (laughs) I played this uh, two player with Logan and it was thoroughly enjoyable. I was worried that the sand timers were going to get in the way of intelligent, thoughtful play, and they didn't at all. They actually, mm-hmm. they're what made it a game. Without them, it wouldn't be nearly as good. So Kiro and the sand timers had me scared. What about another one for you? A <laughs> game that you had no hype for, that, that was off your radar, or you were worried was going to be a dud? Well, that would be one that we just did a review of not too long ago, was Beyond the Sun. You look at it. This is what accountants would end up doing whenever they make things. It's not that bad. (laughs) With boring people. It just looked horrendous. It is text and blue lines. Oh, it looked horrible. Thanks to Board Game Arena, I gave it a try. Son of a gun if I wasn't hooked on that I probably played 60 games of that game I cannot get enough beyond the sun going in and filling in your tech tree of where you want to build do you want to do the tech tree do you want to build that out to get your points to win the game oh wait no maybe we'll go over here and we'll colonize space oh wait no maybe we'll do this there's different ways of doing things there was just something about that tech tree and the options you have that just hit the sweet spot in my brain. I cannot get enough of that game. And it was all because it was so boring looking. No, no. Yeah, if I'm glad I, I took I that I don't know. Step Beyond in. the Sun might have been on Kickstarter. I don't know. But man, it, if it wasn't, I can't help but feel like if that was on Kickstarter, it wouldn't fund. No. There's no miniatures. <laughs> there's no art. <laughs> darn good game so you would yeah. say that the lack of a visual appeal there was nothing uh, uh there was no art or a theme that was sucking you in no really that there was nothing there that looked interesting it was just laying cards down on the board and that was mm-hmm. it damn if it is not a great game i thoroughly enjoy every game i've played of beyond the sun now granted i've lost most of them but i still had a good time now then well, my my oh, next one I kind of cheated on. Yeah, I do. Uh, this one I think I've mentioned in a previous episode, and that's Blood Rage. Ooh. And whenever I say that I cheated on this, uh, I don't typically avoid games. I'm, I'm usually willing to try anything. I chose Blood Rage because I had it shortly after it came out. I felt like I was in the cool crowd, you know. Oh, yeah, I got Blood Rage too. But uh, what I did was I'll test a game, you know, I'll set it up and I'll try and learn it. In this case, I did it with my buddy Mike. So there's two of us trying to play it. And man, it was awful. It two players, I, I made that determination that I didn't like it and I promptly sold it. I think I went into it with this expectation that I was like, everybody's like, oh, it's area control. It's area. No, it's not. 
in my mind, area control is you build up units and you defend that territory, not pick a territory where the conflict happens and then it's removed from the board. It's it's a very different type of of area yes. control yes. than than traditionally what I would expect, you know, like armies mm-hmm. on the board. And that's why I, I would barely even classify it. I would call it dudes on a map. I wouldn't call it area control. Your goal is not to control it. Your goal is just to have some presence there whenever a, a fight happens or have your guys die there or have them die in Ragnarok there. That's not control. So I hated it. I hadn't played it again for what, three and a half years, four years until just this year when you brought it over and, and Cool Matt and you and I all sat around and played it. And darn it, that was fun. You know, I, I I looked at it and I approached it in a very different way. Like, I think once I calibrated my mindset to know that, okay, this is not Axis and Allies. You know, this is not Twilight Imperium. This is a card drafting game where you need to move your pieces to where they're going to score you points. Gave me a whole different perspective. And, and I, you know what? I'm ready to play it again if you want to Cycle that back into the rotation, Scott. <laughs> we'll put that in the rotate rotation the, the shelf of rotations. Yes. One more. What do you got? I'd seen a lot of people posting they were loving this game. I had a hard time finding it, but I was always kind of pushing it off. I'm like, it, it's got an IP on it, but I picked up Dune Imperium. I almost put this on my list. I was not expecting much from this game at all. I picked it up. I bought it. I'm probably going to end up selling this thing right away. I sat down. I played a game of it solo. I was hooked at that moment in time. I was hooked on this game. There were so many things going on with this as far as your hand of cards, putting your soldiers into battle, taking over parts of Arrakis, getting influence in the different guilds of the universe. So many things going on in this game, but it works so fluid and works so well together. Why would you say you weren't initially hyped for it? Because I know you like Dune. You like that universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that there was the old Dune board game, and that was like the big one that you wanted to play. This one seemed like a little bit easier, and it looked like a deck-building game. Well, it is a deck-building game, but there's so much more to it. And once I played it, that's whenever I saw everything unfold and what it could be and what it turned out to be. I was just so nervous that they just hurried up, stamped on Dune Imperium because that movie's coming out. Let's get it out there. We played that with Mike not too long ago. You know, he after that play, he went out and bought it. Oh, I tapped that junkie vein some fierce. <laughs> you got him good. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Scott, the last one I put on mine is Brass. I think the issue with Brass, this was another one, cheating, kind of like with Blood Rage, in that I attempted to learn it on my own forever ago. I've told this story once, uh, right. geez, earlier this year, in fact. I tried to learn it on my own, and then I played it on the app, realized that I self-taught it wrong, and then I wasn't winning at all on the app. And I, I mm. couldn't, with an app sometimes, it's hard to understand, like if you don't know the mechanisms within the right. game, like why this many points are being yielded, it just happens. So I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I'm hitting the buttons, thinking I'm doing things right. I'm like, why did they get 62 points for that? And I've <laughs> lost by a lot. Again, great. When Jason taught it to us and I started mm-hmm. to understand, oh, okay, that's why, you know, when you can start drawing those connections as to, to why the things work right. the way that they do. then so, so this one's kind of a cheat in that I think I didn't want to get it back to the table because I didn't quite understand it. 
there's something else that happened. There's there's sort of this anti-cool thing. Like the rebel in me for a while was like, ah, you know what? Everybody else loves brass. No, screw that. Brass sucks. You know, what I mean? like that, that game is garbage. Like, and maybe it's because I couldn't figure it out. Like I didn't want to feel like I was dumb, you know, but th- there is sort of for every game, for every game that has a high rating and a lot of hype, you're going to see a boatload of ones on, on BGG, for example. However much weight you put in that. The, the point is not put weight into the, the rating on BGG. The point is that there's always going to be that, we'll call it a counterculture. Like, yeah. you know, oh, that's not cool. You know, this this rando game that's that no one's ever heard of. Now that's gaming. You know what I mean? I think I was trying to maybe pull that out a little bit. So that for me was what kept me from trying it and kept me from getting any sort of sort of hype some juiced up to play the game. But pleasantly surprised and as i stated before i'm pretty sure it's my favorite euro Ooh, wow it really shot up your list there that's good to hear i'm I'm anxious to get that back to the table we got to give that a try again well nicholas petraca we had him on the show not too long ago he actually chimed in with the conversation as we know he's created he's the designer of beyond the rift that's the perdition's mouth dungeon crawling card game he said i had a similar experience with blood rage i was expecting a classic area control game and bounced off of it later i came back to it and was intrigued by drafting synergies and creating point engines which of course does include some battles and area majority stuff and I was pleasantly surprised. Nowadays, it's one of my favorites. Had to put that in there because it's like lock and step. <laughs> Nick, well said, sir. That's, uh, again, calibration of your own expectation, I think, can turn us off to a game sometimes. Oh, very much so. And um, Andrew kind of falls into this here as well. You know, uh, this is Archmage Andrew. We'll have him on next episode for the Academy. Andrew chimed in. Most excellent he had said, for me, it would be Azul. I saw everyone playing it, and I thought, this themeless game of Starburst looks like it was invented before <laughs> fun, because it doesn't look fun. He gave it a shot. Great game. I currently have a copy of Azul on my shelf. Yeah, you have the perception of what it is before you dig into the rules. That can color so many things. I mean, hey, don't judge a book before uh, the, I don't even know sayings. Don't judge a book by its by cover. cover. Yes. <laughs> you're going to keep that whole thing in there. I know you're going to keep it in there. Uh, I'll cut it. I promise. <laughs> but yeah, you don't want to judge a book by its cover. It could end up being your favorite game. Here's one that tapped into the counterculture concept that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Graham's, uh, Graham said, you know, for me, it was Scythe. And that's all he said. So, you know, well, why did you avoid it? He said, everyone just kept gushing that it's the best thing ever made. You got to play it. You got to play it. And I did last year. And while I do like it, it is my favorite. But I think it's because I've been burned on getting on the hype train before. Mm, there you go. Yep. Yep. That's- so tying right in with our last conversation, maybe that builds in, builds up a wall. Like, you know what? If it's overhyped, that's reason to stay away. Eh, at least it was for Graham. Yep. Let's go with one more. Bruno says, in my case, it was terraforming Mars. First time I played it, it was awful. But some months later, I decided to give it another try. I discovered that I hated the game because the rules weren't all explained very well. And what was explained was kind of half wrong. Laugh out loud. Laugh out loud. (laughs) Ties right in with the brass example. If you have that one dud play, it can totally ruin the experience of it so scott why do we avoid games what are some 
what, what can we point to and say, okay, here's, here's why I've avoided games in the past. Now, bear in mind, sometimes it works out all the better. You know, I've avoided a lot of games and when I did play them, I'm like, okay, yeah, I should have avoided that nine times out of 10. You know, we have these built in preconceived notions for good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what are what some are of those, those notions? One of the notions I think that comes up to me, and this is something that we're verging into right now. A lot of times I listen to podcasts and I would have my preconceived notions of what the people on the podcast were like, what they liked mm-hmm. to play, what they did, what and hearing what they would say about certain games. So many times you look at that and it's like, well, if they like it, there's not a chance that I'm going to like it because we don't line up at all on our likes on different types of games. Mm-hmm. So why should I even give it a try? What are some of yours that come up to your mind? Oh, the first one I put at the top of my list was themes. But some themes just don't do anything for me. And I'm going to point right at the great old one. If a game's got mm. Cthulhu, oh my, <laughs> it's it's so tired of a theme yeah. now I'll, I'll play just about anything you know and quite frankly i've been wanting to get australia ever since we had martin on the show but <laughs> something about cthulhu it's like man can't we do something cooler with like an apocalyptic monster why is it always cthulhu mm-hmm. and we know why it's a free ip at this point but i just if i see that theme i tend to turn the other way like i want a little bit more proof that the game is good because if it was good then they would have been able to afford something better than the free ip guy you know what i mean yeah oh yeah yeah definitely now another one that really comes up to mind is it doesn't look like it will hit the table with our group before we started doing this my table in our group was really my family my in-laws and i would spend so much time looking at games thinking what type of games would they like yeah and not getting tougher games that i'm not giving my chance to like i would spend so much time trying to make sure that everyone else is having fun i'm not taking advantage of saying hey this is what i want to try i think this is going to be a good one it was more of something that i was putting on myself than really a problem with the theme Scott, I, th- I think that's perfectly reasonable because what's the point in getting all, all hyped up for a game if it's not going to hit the table? I backed mm-hmm. Iridia uh, after talking – well, actually prior to talk- talking with Cody last week. I yeah. backed Iridia. Listeners, uh, Iridia, I think, still has like two days on Kickstarter. Go back and listen to our episode here all about it. Scott, I don't know when – I always say campaign game. When am I going to have the opportunity to mm-hmm. to play that? We haven't gone back to our ongoing adventure of Jaws of the Lion. Yeah, right. Because yeah. we haven't been able to. I got Sarah at home all summer. My wife's traveling. Now you've got Ren- the Renaissance Festival coming up. It's not even because we're a podcast. We got to play the next new game. No, we're, we're willing to prioritize yeah. playing a campaign game. We can't. And Aridia is a campaign game. I don't know when it's going to hit the table. My thought process uh, was, well, I have until December of 2022 <laughs> to figure that out. <laughs> but I typically will avoid a campaign game unless it's one that I think I'm going to just play solo. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it could be like Chronicles of Drunagor. I'm like, man, that looks so cool. I want to buy that. I want to play that. I want to get the... Never, never going to actually get it to the table. Madara. I bought Madara from Tiny Fred. I sold it back to Tiny Fred. 
he he was kind enough to buy it back. He was like, hey, if you still have that, I want it. And you know what? I never even got Madara on the table because when in the hell am I going to have a friend to play this with? And he said, if you're going to play it, don't do it true solo because, you know, your, your party moves it. That's neither here nor there. Your point stands. Is it going to get on the table? Yeah. Yeah. What about when a game looks too simple or too complicated? Mm. You ever have that? That was uh, beyond the sun to a point. Not only was it like really bland, but it looked like I'm going to get lost. So mm. too yeah. complicated side of things definitely will we'll hit players. It, it even hits us. We're professional board game podcasters. But mm-hmm. damn, if a rule book's more than 15 pages, I'm like, oh God. On the other hand, too simple. I've avoided games because they look too simple. Some of them are fantastic. No thanks. Just one. So yep. good. And yet so many of them are just nah, just activities. Just go, you know what I mean? Like I've been burned yeah. too many times with the we're not oh, really well, even yes. playing a game here. Like there's this is a one mecha- a one trick pony, a one mechanic mm-hmm. pony. It happens. Oh yeah, yeah. Unfortunately it does. This is another thing I say all the time. It doesn't look like it's going to scratch the itch for me. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's going to make my brain work the way I want it to. So why do we avoid games? We're saying, you know what? It's it's the hype, the lack thereof, or haven't been burned by it. Previous bad experiences, theme. You brought up if a game's uh, too complicated, can you even get it to the table? All kinds of reasons that we avoid games. It is pleasantly surprised though to hear folks chime in and say, you know what? This one, this one actually broke through, and and I'm glad that you and I both have a few as well. I really hope that people will continue posting things on this thread. It's a lot of fun seeing that. Let's bring this wagon on home. We already, uh, we messaged the contest winners. For those that did our contest from two episodes ago, it resolved yesterday. Two of our Board Game Geek Guild members, Guild 3722. One Guild member is being sent a copy of Boma Mahjong coming to Kickstarter soon. And another is taking home a copy of Soda Smugglers, which by the time we're recording, I think... They just finished and funded. Let's get on with how we leveled up. My level up, just finishing up with the play that I was in, in Harvey. The feeling that you get whenever you're on stage and you hear people laugh. And you know that for a few minutes, you're making people forget about what's going on outside the doors of the theater. You're letting them release a little bit, relax a little bit. And just get carried away. I really look at that as that is a gift I uh, that I've been given to be able to do that and to go on stage and make people laugh. And hopefully I'll be doing that for another six weekends here with the Renaissance Festival and just making people forget about what's going on and just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hopefully your pants don't fall down when it comes oh, time yeah. to get on stage at the Renfest. Thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks for putting that out in the universe. I know they like didn't that. fall down. No wardrobe <laughs> malfunctions. For me, Scott, I'm going to say my level up was finding a little bit more joy and appreciation in playing what other people are bringing to the table. Mm. Nice. You ever feel nice. like I just learned this game? I gotta gotta get it taught. Maybe it's because you want to cement it in your brain, or because you want to be the gatekeeper of the fun. Whatever the case <laughs> is, you know, I I tend to be the guy that's like, okay, I have this game, let's play it. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I've kind of cooled off on that a little bit. Ryan has taught me another game. Uh, Ryan's been teaching me games. And he's like, you know what? I'll teach you on Mars. If you want, I'll teach you. And I'm like, oh, my God. I don't have to do that rule book. So, Ryan, be warned. You're going to be teaching me on Mars. <laughs> on on Tabletop Simulator, no less. Jason has been teaching games. So oh, yes. we got, what, Maracaibo to the table now. Yeah, Three yeah. times I've played with him. And we've been adding modules. And you know what? It's a blast. Just take some of the stress off to be able to to enjoy a game. And, and whenever it's something that really scratches your itches, that makes it that much better. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the person teaching it likes it enough to present it to you and take time out of their day to teach you a game. Oh, this is a great feeling. That is my level up. I believe that brings us up to the end of episode 27. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Adventures. Scott, it's a pleasure as always most excellent and i do appreciate it i appreciate all the adventures we've had so far and i'm looking forward to many adventures in the future see you next time take care my friend thank you so much for joining this adventure of the level up board game podcast we encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com there you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.